Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Carmelita. And we're here to talk about Dream Lover, starring James Spader, Medchen Amick, Larry Miller, Frederick Lane, and Bess Armstrong. Written and directed by Nicholas Kazan, released in 1994 in the States after a short release in 1993. Didn't make much of a dent in the old box office, but has gained a lot of acclaim in retrospect on review sites and like Turner Classic Movies and stuff like that. Part of the era of erotic thrillers that we'll talk about here in just a bit. But first of all, welcome back to the show, Carmelita. Last time you were here, we were talking some David Cronenberg uh, action with the crumbs of the future. So a little lighter fare this time around. (laughs) Little bit, a little bit, but (laughs) this one's, this one's kind of secretly weird. Right. Right. So I think it fits. Yes, indeed. So we were looking for some stuff to start filling out the 2023 calendar. And I'm like, hey, it's it's February. Twisted Valentine action is always on my menu of things. And I'm like, you know what? Why not do this? So I started pitching different stuff to you. And, and you were uh, you were game to do this. Because I don't think you've ever seen this one before, right? No. I will be eternally grateful to you and Filmstrip <laughs> for giving me the little push I needed to take Dream Lover off of my watch list and finally watch it. And this was like the greatest Valentine's Day gift anyone has ever given me. Wow, that is, that is heavy. <laughs> I had so much fun watching this movie. Yeah, we, we can uh, talk about that, but the gift really comes from Tubi. So thank you, Tubi, once again for yes. delivering and having... Thank you, Tubi. And thank you, James Spader. Yes, uh, also. Uh, you know, Tubi, <laughs> just on a side note real quick, y'all, like, Tubi has the most, like, deepest catalog of B stuff that you want. Like, the stuff you really want to watch that you don't want to admit to your friends on Letterboxd that you watch. But it's all the stuff you <laughs> want to watch. And I'm telling you, you need to just get on the Tubi train. It's it's worth it. Um Yeah, James Spader's a whole movement in and of himself, and he's had several in his lifetime. Uh, But first off, obviously, we've done erotic thriller stuff here on Filmstrip before with like Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct, which are like two hallmark ones. And then we've actually done, you know, some lifetime stuff brought in the have in the past. And I mean, you know, from a certain point of view, Crimes of the Future falls into that category, though it's got a lot of other things going on, too. True. But I think that the thing about erotic thriller is that people get hung up on the erotic part of what they don't realize is that in the late 80s through the 90s, there was a a renaissance of the film noir. And it just manifested itself around the dangerous liaison relationship thing. And and we got so many different versions of these things. So I wanted to ask you kind of where you were on those movies, you know, what what you remember at the time and in the era. No, and you make a great point because film noir, there's a lot of these same undercurrents but they couldn't be as explicit right? at that time because of censorship and social mores. And so with the erotic thriller, you get a lot of that mystery and uh, these illicit relationships and betrayals and backstabbing and murder and, and the sex that you mm-hmm. couldn't know, you know, in, in decades past. I'm a fan of the erotic thriller. Uh, some favorites of mine that stick out would be, I mean, 
the granddaddy of them all for me is Fatal Attraction. Right. Maybe the greatest one that was ever made, honestly. So. I, I can never get enough of that film. I can rewatch it forever and never get sick of it. I just love it. Uh, sea of Love is one. Yeah, low key. Uh, people have forgotten Pacino, uh, Ellen Barkin thriller, but yes, I I love that movie too. So it's great, it's great, mm-hmm. and all of those basic instinct, body heat. I mean, I love all of these films because I think you get the mystery, you get the seduction, you get the betrayal, and something that's definitely comes into play in Dream Lover that comes into play in a lot of these is that idea of. Can you ever really know another person 100%? Mhm. And and that I mean that's a theme that's forever relevant. Oh, no, look, I think look, the stakes look. are higher in a romantic relationship. Look, I'll tell you, I've been with my wife for 20 years, and there's still things about her that I don't know. <laughs> and there's things about me she doesn't know. It's just, that's just yeah. part of life. It's how much of the mystery is sustainable for you and it doesn't matter and you know i mean i do think if if someone's got like serious issues like these two people do in this movie i'm gonna argue that both (laughs) of these people are pretty screwed up um (laughs) that that yeah you might want to know that but you know if if you don't realize you know until years later somebody really doesn't like peanut butter you're like okay well i guess that's where we are now but i'm with you i love this this um genre um because i think it does hit on a lot of stuff and you know i'm a big mystery guy like a good twist and i like a movie that sometimes i like a movie that will just it's just going to spell it out for me it'll tell me everything i need to know i can just ride it and go with it but also like ones that are actively asking me to try to play along and try Mm -hmm. to figure it out and play clue you know or whatever and and I, i love that and and i get a kick out of those and ones that hit me with uh, things i don't see coming and um you know and that's the fun part of how you keep reinventing this it's just you know they've done it a hundred times and I, I also like ones though that really do push boundaries and i told you in a text as we were kind of going back and forth with this if we were on our friend Lindsay's schlock and all uh podcast the pairing for this would definitely be 1944 gaslight because this is gaslight in reverse i mean that's a, <laughs> a popular is. thing in theater these days is to do the gender swap which is has been done in movies for years and things too but th- that's exactly what this movie is it's just gaslight but we're gonna flip who's doing what to who yeah yeah no absolutely another one that came to mind what was uh oh was it what lies beneath yeah yeah with harrison ford and and uh, yeah. michelle pfeiffer yeah yeah the That's movie zemeckis one. made while tom hanks was losing weight for castaway uh yeah yes. yeah that's a, that's another one that I think people have forgotten. That movie's actually really good. It's a slow burn, but it's worth the ride. So, agreed. Yeah, yeah. There, there's so many of these, and you know, I looked back and I was like, why didn't this like hit? Because it came out in October of '93, you know, or actually '94 when it came out, and I was like, well, you know, it was surrounded by like some big heavyweights. Indecent Proposal mm-hmm. had been the year before, and that was a 200 million dollar movie. Disclosure would come out a couple of months after this. That's a huge. People think of Michael Crichton as the Jurassic Park guy, the techno thriller guy, but he was a lot of things. And that's a that's a very different movie than Michael Douglas, which everybody will always, you know, get. one of the reasons Fatal Attraction works so well is you have three incredible actors carry that movie and Archer, Michael Douglas, and Glenn Close. And I, I argue all the time, if you had different people in those roles, I don't think that movie lasts the way it does now. Uh, and even Absolutely. the supporting cast is, is so good. Um, 
but yeah, you know, you get, you got to have the right mix of people in it. And I, I think this one came out as Spader was still a thing, but at this point he's 33 when they make this movie. So he's out of the brat pack, but he's not really into that 90s smoldering sex lives videotape Spader's a couple years before that. And then before now, you know, the blacklist and Ultron and all the other stuff he's doing now. And Matchin Amick was just the waitress chick on Twin Peaks. And nobody really knew who she was. Like she was 23 when this movie was made. So she was a kid still. And uh, what's funny is, you know, most people I think now that are a lot younger than me will know her as the mom on Riverdale, uh, which is its own set of erotic thriller oh, wow. <laughs> twist. But, you know, I, I got to thinking about that last night. I was like, you know what? I bet there's a whole generation of people that are like, oh, yeah, that's Betty's mom. And I'm like, well, I, she was at one time. And, I, and she's even got a daughter that's like a singer, too. That's if Gen a, Z were to watch this movie, they will just lose their minds. Right. And, I, and I'm going to recommend do it, Gen Z, because you want to have your mind blown. You, you'll, yes. I'll, I'll tell you, though, there's things that she does in every performance, everything I've ever seen her in that are always the same. And she and Sherilyn Finn, the other Twin Peaks person at the time, mm -hmm. both spent some years in and out of this genre and doing these things. And if you see them now, they're, they're, I mean, you can imagine they're on the same like casting call at the same time. So I, I have nothing to prove that because there's almost no background in this movie. Uh, in spite of the fact that Nicholas Kazan is a really well-respected screenwriter and he was up for an Academy Award, he's directed, he worked for years, he's in his 70s now and he's got kids that are grown and are actors and everything. But um, yeah, this one just didn't hit. And I, But then I think it's one of those that like we're doing with a lot of movies now, it gets the reevaluation and, you know, thank goodness for VHS and rental and uh, people, you know, just, just scanning the aisles going like, all right, that looks good. I mean, when the tagline to the movie is the danger is intimate, I mean, come on, you know what you're, you know what you're getting, you know, because you got Spader, you got the Twin, Twin Peaks girl, like, you know, you knew what you were up for. Yeah, ring me up for that rental. Yeah, and I'm trying to think the first time I saw this. It wasn't when it came out. I, I didn't even know about it at the time. It was something that, again, I think I rented just on a Friday or something, you know, just renting a, back when the days when you could rent like five movies for the weekend or something and just watching it while I was just consuming all kinds of stuff. And um, I remember thinking at the time, I was like, wow, this is actually a lot like darker than I thought it was going to be. Like there's a lot going yeah. on in this and it's just sort of stuck in the back of my head all these years. And um, the parts of it I had, I hadn't thought about because it's been a few years since I've seen it. The circus scenes in particular, I hadn't thought about and in, in a while, but now watching them now, I'm like, Oh, I think I get that so much more than I did when I saw it in my twenties. <laughs> it's just such a different <laughs> twist, but yeah, this is, um, and this movie too, I think this genre allows you to to push boundaries. You talked about before, like film noir sometimes it like had a line it wouldn't cross. And when you could go into this realm, you could cross that line. And there's lots of representations of sexuality and basic instinct yes. that at the time would have seemed like so far to any audience and was. And and Joe Esterhaus did that on purpose. He was trying to, you know, he wrote it and, you know, you got to have a guy like Verhoeven to go, sure, because <laughs> he has <laughs> he has no boundaries whatsoever. And, you know, he'll just do stuff. And I, and I think, too, that this part of what makes this movie work, too, is that there's a lot of boundaries that get crossed in this and we can get into some of that as we go but um you know it, it, as much as i can take as i blush through the podcast here as we talk about these things but as i found and people that listen to follow you on a lot of podcasts realize this is kind of your thing to do to people so i oh, guess it's it i guess it's my Most turn. definitely so. <laughs> well let, let me let me do the quick plot summary and we'll get into the movie here <clears throat> james spader plays ray reardon and he wonders whether or not he can actually allow himself to be happy in a relationship 
So he's like super successful. He's got friends. He was even married once. However, he's plagued by thoughts of self-doubt and self-trial often manifested in his head as a circus act. And he's also prone to self-destruction in relationships. He caught his first wife, Martha, cheating on him and either pushed her or slapped her, depending on who you ask. But either way, feeling guilty over that and for being married to somebody he wasn't truly in love with, Ray doesn't even contest the divorce. And they have like a whole meet cute on the court steps afterward. Uh, which was interesting. So you can tell, though, that he, you know, he's just willing to move on and he entered into his life this mysterious beauty we know as Lena. And after he spills his drink on her at a party, they meet again in the grocery store and she apologizes for being kind of harsh to him at the party. The two hit it off, sparks fly, and they plunge into this headlong, steamy romance that leads to marriage, kids, the whole shebang. But Ray has this gnawing feeling that some of the things his loving wife says to him just don't add up and are flat out not true. And so turns out his suspicions are not only correct, but he has no idea who he is dealing with. <laughs> Lena grew up in rural Texas and was determined not to get caught in that small town trap. So she left and reinvented herself, changed her name, the whole nine. But she'll tell people she has this abusive relationship with her parents, though she still stays in touch with them and they know exactly who she is. They knew she even changed her name. And that's what she tells him uh, after he un you know covers some of these things. And the truth of the matter is, though, not only can Lena reinvent herself for what situation she wants, she picked him out. And he was a mark the whole time. She became the woman of his fantasies, fed partially to her by the husband of one of his friends, whom she's been having an affair with the whole time, and her intention to always push him to the brink in order to take over his fortune. She succeeds as Ray ultimately does snap and hits her, and she has him committed. Ray has a plan, though, so he calls that friend, who happens to also be a lawyer, played by Bess Armstrong, and lures her, uh, lures Lena back to visit him at the mental hospital one last time. And he reveals to her, you know, this, this plan was great, but it has one flaw. Having me committed means I'm not responsible for what I do next. Or at least that's what this movie's logic wants you to think. So Ray strangles <laughs> Lena to death and lays her on the ground as the credits roll. And that's the plot of dream lover. But of course there's a lot more that goes on. We'll get into the ins and outs of it, but uh, well, this movie is uh, for an hour and 40 minute movie is a real ride and it's a ride from the get go. Um, I love movies that drop you in the middle of, of a proceeding or a conversation or something. And you have to catch up real quick as to who's who and what's going on. And we open up with that bit of Ray's divorce from his first wife in the courtroom. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I love that we are, we're dropped into it, but the dialogue, the scenes are written so well that it doesn't take long to catch up. And we get all the little hints that he was in this marriage. It's complicated. They maybe aren't well suited to each other or they think that they aren't and can't stay married, but they clearly still care about each other. And that kind of comes through and and you start to wonder what what exactly about their marriage wasn't satisfying? Were they both unhappy? Was just she unhappy? You kind of you're starting to think about what is it with Ray and relationships? Well, you know, the thing is, and it, it hit me this time watching it for this review is I'm blown away that and, and smart thrillers will do this and then you'll hit yourself in the head later going, ah, oh, it was right there the whole time. They lay out for you in the first five minutes between the divorce proceedings, his conversation with the ex-wife, and then that lunch party with the friends. They lay out the whole movie for you and yeah. why this guy is the way he is, what he likes, and what's going to happen to him. 
he lays out, you know, it, with a little bit of banter, you know, you know, he likes brunettes, not redheads. You knew that was never going to work. Larry Miller, the, the geniusly obnoxious Larry Miller, the, the dad from <laughs> 10 Things I Hate About You is, is uh, but he's such a great character actor and uh, had an awesome podcast for years, too. I kind of hated when it ended, but it's just a just a funny guy. And he he's kind of goading this long and Bess Armstrong is there and, and her um husband is there and he's the guy that like you you don't really know that much about and then come to find out he's the one that that uh lena has been having the affair with the whole time and it's probably the one that's getting the info the inside info on ray but they're all feeding him with like i know you like the brunettes and you like the mysterious one and you like this he's like yeah maybe i do maybe i don't i don't know maybe i'm just self-destructive maybe i don't know what i want and you see that play out over and over again you know, and it's like, wow, this movie is it, what a dare to lay out the entire plot for you, then hit you with an hour and a half of misdirection only to bring you back to realize that, like, it was there all along. And that is yeah. the the sign of a good writer. I often think of that kind of level of writing. Carmelita is like good playwrights can do that. Like Neil LeBute is notoriously great at that. Yeah. And I mean, it's all right there in the very first few lines of dialogue, but it gives you all you need to know who these people are and how the setup is going to happen. Most definitely. Most definitely. And I, I love th- that post-divorce pep talk. Mm-hmm. I'm a divorce person. I've had these conversations with friends or, you know, even friends after break friends mm-hmm. that I've spoken with about their breakups. You know, there's always that, you know, friends get together and you talk about, so what are you going to do now? And kind of like that relationship post-mortem. Right. And there's always plenty of advice to go around. And and James Spader in that, in those scenes, it's like, there is something about this man, especially in the 80s and 90s. He could do pretty much anything on screen and get away with it. Yeah. And he's, and he's great at that. Like, you think, Ray seems like a nice guy, but there's a little edge to Spader. It's why he's so good at at things like the blacklist or playing uh, Ultron or all these things that he does because Spader got thrown in that all the the Brat Pack guys of the day, like the St. Elmo's fire crowd, I call it, right? He kind of got thrown in that pile. But the truth was he was the darkest of all of them. (laughs) Like he really was. And I think it's because he – he understands the same kind of things that make like Brian Cranston work as an actor so well is that they can be so affable and just so guy next door, but then they can be incredibly dark and, and it's in his voice. You know, now he has that really yes. deep, rich voice and here you can hear it just, just starting to crack and do that stuff. And you're like, man, this guy is so good at playing the, the dark guy because that's a, a bold thing to do. In this movie, because it's very clear, Mitch Namick is the devil in high heels. Like the minute we meet her, all right, well, we'll talk about how she's dressed in a sec. But like the second you meet her, you're like, oh yeah, that's trouble. Like, you, know, you just know that that is not going to go well for anybody that crosses paths with that spider. But he is so affable and stuff. But then you realize, like, but wait a minute, didn't he like hit his wife? Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And then later on, you're like, well, I don't know, maybe he did. <laughs> you know, because he's and he is kind yeah. of prone to, you know, fits of, uh, of rage and he kind of gets real upset and he's very demanding. And he also surrounds himself at work. I don't know if you caught this or not. He surrounds himself with these gorgeous women. 
all the time. Yeah. Almost like he's tempting himself, but he'll never go there. And I thought that was really neat this time because he's like, you know, even Bess Armstrong, who's probably the oldest person in the cast at this point, is still gorgeous. And I have a childhood crush for her because Jaws 3 is part of my childhood and always will be. So when she showed up in my so-called life in you know, high school and college, I was set. You know, I didn't care anything about Claire Danes. I was for the mom. So I, I was I was, I was for Stacy's mom before those kids ever came up with that song. But I mean, really, like, she, you know, she's beautiful and he's got all these other beautiful people around him, but he's he's not interested in any of it, or at least he doesn't act like he is. I, don't know, I thought that was neat to catch about him is that, man, this guy, like he could come off as like real superficial and vacuous, but he's not. He's really dark and really deep and only punctuated by all this dreams that he has where he's at a circus the whole time. Yeah. Well, I love the dream thing. And the fact that this is called Dream Lover is not some cutesy title. Mm -hmm. Dreams and nightmares are a thread throughout this thing. And also, I mean, there's the literal dreams that he has where his subconscious is working out this carnival sideshow nightmare about his relationships and his life. But also that you notice he, when he meets Lena, she's, she's like a dream come true. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't, he doesn't question where she comes from. He doesn't, he doesn't, question why he hasn't met her friends or other family members. He just takes everything she says at face value because he's already projected on her this dream. After they're married, he starts to feel a little bored and a little frustrated. And then he starts having suspicions. Right. The, dream, the, the bubbles busted, you know, because relationships aren't like a never ending dream. Real life happens. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know? yeah, it's as at some point you do just come home and want to go to sleep. Like you just want, to, right. no matter how in love you are, sometimes I just want to sit on the couch and watch a bad Family Guy rerun and call it a day. Like you know, everybody feels that way, and that yeah. you, you've you've nailed it too as their relationship progresses. It's such a cool thing to watch him because I think Ray's biggest problem is that he is afraid that he will be bored. So he constantly like blows his own success up in front of him so that he's not even see that. Like he's got this incredible, he's an architect, which is like the erotic thriller dream job. Like nobody really <laughs> understands what these people do for a living, but we can act like they're never actually working. <laughs> right. But they make, you know, insane money. You know what? Sure. Whatever. <laughs> Cause nobody knows. Cause it's so freaking hard to do. So, I mean, I, I know one architect in my life and I've known a lot of people and I do career for a living. So like, I, <laughs> I don't even know people that do this, but there's a lot of them. So, but, I mean, but I love that. Like he surrounds himself in these things and he's, he's telling this one guy like, yeah, I just don't need the work or whatever it is. Some big project. It's always something. And I, I sort of wrote that off as like, that's the young and the restless kind of part of this mm -hmm. movie where the, they have this incredible company and they do stuff and everybody has money and nobody seems to do anything all day. Like they, you know, they don't, I've never seen anybody sitting there like banging out an email or working through yes. a spreadsheet. Like there weren't any of those back then, but they didn't even pull up. He never even pulls up a damn pencil. <laughs> I think he throws one drawing away when he's as an architect but you're right he has projected sort of this dream image and the the nightmare he's continuing to have led by this clown in his mind which is like his subconscious is we're going to reveal to you who your dream girl really is and what i mean talk about stunt casting and i don't know kathleen york really from anything i know she's a singer songwriter and stuff but i haven't seen her in much stuff but if you just take her head off 
her and Mitch and Amick are pretty much the same. Like they, they look almost exactly the same. And that was genius uh, cinematography to have them just slowly reveal her legs, feet, you know, mm-hmm. waist. And, and at the time before we finally see the head reveal later on. And uh, yeah, it's, it's neat to see. And we've got to talk about Mitch and Amick coming in here uh, because she comes in this yes. party and, oh my gosh. Um, She's wearing this red halter top dress, very tight, form-fitting. She's got her hair all teased up, a lot of bright makeup. I mean, literally, she is the devil in a dress. Like, she comes in the scene, and, I mean, he overly apologizes. She runs into him to get him to spill that drink on her so she can lose her mind on him. And I was like, I mean, and I got to say too, like I, it blows my mind. Like she's 23 at this point and she absolutely carries this movie with him. And that's pretty good. Cause yeah. Spader is no lightweight and she really, really handles her stuff. She's great. Yeah. Right from the jump. She's in that particular scene, you know, she, he spills on her dress and she's just right away treating him like an absolute jerk and, and it's very believable. Although like I did put this on again while I was, I was taking notes. So I, I have technically seen this twice now. And that second time it's like, Oh, it's right there. Mm-hmm. She clearly ran into him on purpose. That first time it's like, Oh, what, like what happened here? But it, it's definitely clear on a second watch. Like, Oh no. She for sure set this up. And we should say his friend, his obnoxious friend, Norman, played by Larry Miller, has set him up on a date with the most like outlandish poor, that poor girl. I felt so bad for her because she is like so trying hard to impress this guy. And it's like, oh, and I, I thought back to a time, long time ago in my life, before I met my wife, I went on a date with this one girl that was like a setup from a friend and I thought she was really cool and I thought I really want to impress her and I realized I was trying way too hard and she had like zero interest in me at all <laughs> I wish she'd at least have been straight with me like Spader is because she, she wasn't right? but, but I mean I, I felt for her like I really did I was like oh I feel for you because you seem like such a nice person and you're totally getting screwed here in this moment because Satan in a dress just walked by. How's he not going to go? I'm sorry. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Because <laughs> Mention Amick is absolutely like stunning. Like she's a beautiful woman anyway. She's still a beautiful woman. But she looks so much older than her 23 years at this point. And that's not oh, easy absolutely. to do. Young actresses have like a, a youthful beauty to them. That's just it's, it's encapsulated in a moment. She looks like somebody. She looks like she could be 30 and like the kind of sophisticated 30 that it would take to land a guy like James Spader. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we move into them bumping into each other at the supermarket. Yeah. And then we get to see this other side of her where she's very, you know, she's friendly and she's flirtatious and she's apologizing mm-hmm. for the way that she acted. And and she's very disarming, even though she's this ridiculously attractive person. Yeah. She's, she's supposed to be like intimidating. Yeah. She's supposed to be like dressed now. She's in jeans and you know, all this, Mm -hmm. but she still, when she turns around, I mean, she looks like she just walked out of the catalog, you know, it's because clearly she just followed him. (laughs) 
And it's yeah. like, well, but now I've got to show him the softer side, right? And like she even her tone of voice changes. And I'm like, that's that's just good acting stuff. Like when you when you can do that stuff. Like that I mean it's it's the kind of stuff Glenn Close does in Fatal Attraction, honestly. Yes. And and I wonder again if that there were just in her head in her own head, we're like, mm, I need to kind of play it like that. Because um it it I mean, you just see him just getting reeled in the whole time and you're like Man, I know this is bad, but I I can't sit here and go like mm, wouldn't do the same. Like she she's good at reeling him in. Absolutely, yeah, she is, and I love how we we move into, you know, he's hooked. He needs to see this, and she doesn't let him come up that first time. Mm-hmm. Master stroke. Oh, with the, with the greatest line ever, like you wouldn't just be up for five minutes and then shuts the door. Right. I'm like every dude's fantasy ever. Like, yeah. just yeah, he's, he's got to see her again after that. Oh yeah, he's just he's just totally hooked at that moment. You see him in his face. Yes, you know, and and we go into this perfect date scenario. This this wild evening that he has with her when he comes back to see her. Yeah, I mean, he he is just guessing whichever apartment is hers. You know, he's trying to get buzzed up, and she lets him up. And like she said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I was just in the shower." I'm like, "Dude, do you not realize what is happening to you right now?" <laughs> like, no. oh yeah, she comes out in this kimono, yeah, with this really long, like thirty inch strand of pearls, right? And it's like nobody is wearing. <laughs> Carmelina, she has the pearls on the while they're having sex. Like throughout this yes. movie, I'm like, the pearls are like a symbol or something. I don't know. Or I'm like, or maybe it's just the the actor going like, I'm just gonna do the freakiest thing I can come up with. Right. It's 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 quintessential erotic thriller. Right. Right. Those little details. Yeah, and and they're you know they're laying in the satin sheets together, and you know, and she's she's telling me something. And, you know, he's of course he's just you know telling her how beautiful she is, and I love how there's these moments where the character actually is has to be real and has to get this out of her own head. Like you you don't know who I am. Like no, I'm I'm really not. I wish you wouldn't say that. Men think I'm you know this because I look this way and I can be whatever I want for them, but they have no idea who I really am. Like she's telling you again that. I am going to ruin you. <laughs> I'm going to be the mm-hmm. death of you probably. And you, you can't see it. And when, you know, you kind of get it too. I mean, as a guy, I get it. Cause I'm like, Ooh, she's, you know, she's gorgeous and all this stuff and she's mind blowing, but she's also, there's so much mystery to her that when they just smash cut to the wedding cake, because he says something, she says like, yeah, we, you know, take a day off. We, you know, we've been having sex for an hour. We can take a shower for a long time. He's like, well, how long do we keep doing this? And it's like, boom, right ahead. And you don't know how long it's been, but it's like, I, you can't imagine I'm that went on very long. Fast. Yeah. Like he would have. It happened fast. Yeah. Whirlwind romance. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so all the, you know, of course all the friends are there and they're, you know, talking about how gorgeous she is and all this other stuff. And he's, you know, he just seems like he's on cloud nine and you're like, man, this guy is hooked on the drug and he doesn't realize what it's doing to him. Like you can see it. And, and it's so, what's also amazing is watching her, what she will go through. Like you start to realize like, you know, you have to be a certain level of cunning to pull off a con, you know, of any level, but like this is an, as a character, but like, this is beyond the pale. Like she's going to go, no, I'm just gonna stay married to this guy for maybe eight or nine years, have a couple of kids, you know, she's going to go through all of it. 
This is the long, long con. I mean, right? That is the long, long game. And this movie does something else, though, too, that I I, I didn't really appreciate till watching it this time. And we have this cut of her laying on, on her back with she's got like this sheet just barely covering her. So you don't know if she's in bed or if she's somewhere else. And she's screaming at the top of her lungs. And I want to ask you how you read that because – I saw it as like, oh, because the next thing you see is them with their first kid. And I'm like, oh, that's supposed to be the childbirth thing. I'm like, or maybe this is how they made the kid too. Because like, I mean, like you could read it either way, right? I wrote this in my notes. That transition is brilliant. Right? Because I think it doubles as both. Mm -hmm. I think we, because we come out of that fairy tale wedding they had after this, you know, just incredibly fast and passionate courtship you smash cut from the wedding to her obviously in bed under a sheet it's clear she's naked and it's she's and she's going into a scream and it's like oh is that a scream of pleasure Mm -hmm. and then it turns and it's like no that's a scream of pain and then we have a baby. And so it's like, I mean, it's the way she arches her you back and everything. I'm like, I think yeah. this cuts somewhere in the middle where she's going from having an orgasm to having a kid. And I'm yes. like, that's a bold fucking thing to do in a movie like this. Like that's, I love it. Like it's lesser, so lesser movies wouldn't do that. Like they, it would all be about the, we've already had the titillation, you know, and all this stuff. It would just lean more into that. And like, no, the, and honestly, no, they don't really, she doesn't really get undressed again for the rest of the movie, which is, you know, yeah. you think of these these kind of movies as like that sort of, you know, replete throughout it. But we've kind of seen all that in the first 25, 30 minutes. Now it's all the con and, and the mystery and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I, I just thought that was a brilliant thing. I'm like, man, if for nothing more, this movie needs to be reevaluated and rewatched just for the brilliance of that scene, because nobody yes. would be bold enough to do that these days. It's the cinematic representation of one thing leads to another. Yes. Yes. It's beautiful. Because the, the rule in a movie is always show, don't tell. And in a movie that's heavy on dialogue, boy, talk about one of the biggest show scenes. And what's the other thing too, is you watch them in kid with, in bed with that kid. And I don't, I mean, good, good stunt baby acting, by the way, because I've never seen a baby stay still around two people that doesn't know. I don't know if mom's like off the screen doing this or whatever, but they're sitting there just playing with that little baby like it's no big deal. And you start to look and you're like, oh, maybe we're all just, you know, being overly paranoid. Maybe they, maybe they are Ozzy and Harriet. And you're like, no, 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 not really. But it, it does move you forward because that's when Ray's interludes and his dreams start getting weirder and as is also this is another thing that this movie is tackling a lot of adult stuff like when and, and i've never i don't have kids or anything like that but i've, I've had a couple of friends that have had kids and stuff like that and there's a time when you can't have sex after you've had a kid like this is that's a physical reality like you gotta heal yeah. you know and th- they go through that in this movie where he's trying to come on to her and she's like, I can't. And he's like, I know, I understand. Like he's trying to tell her he understands, he knows. And then like three scenes later, she comes up behind him in bed while he's asleep. And, oh, this is so, I got to get your, your take on this. She starts talking to him like she's subliminally planning and gaslighting him in his sleep going, yes. I know what you want. And then she slips under the covers. And next thing we know, he's late to work. And but I two things I wanted to ask you about was what do you think she's doing when she's talking to him there first? It's 
it's a really cool scene because it kind of doubles, right? Like, like, okay, it could just be pillow talk. Or there is that, that, that subliminal quality to it. Like she's saying one thing and he might interpret it one way, but there's like this subliminal message that's in there. It took me to a scene in Memento when Carrie Ann Moss is laying into Guy Pierce, yeah. knowing he's, you know what I'm talking about? She, I yep. know you're not going to remember this. So I'm going to tell you everything that, you know, you don't. Yes. And I'm like, it's the same thing. I'm like, I would not put it past Christopher Nolan watching this movie going, gonna, gonna do that myself. Because <laughs> uh, he is notorious for that kind of thing. But the other thing I wanted to say is she goes under the sheets and the natural tendency is to think like, oh, she, she gives him a blowjob. I don't sure. think that's what happens at all. I'm going to tell you right now, he doesn't roll over till late. I think she goes in the, for the other direction. I think I this think movie is pushing, right. I think this movie is pushing a button. I think I think you might be right. I mean, because yeah, you would have figured based on what we've seen of their relationship at this point, that is a an occurrence that's normal for them. What would have made him be late to work? Something right. that was different. Really, when you want to blow his mind, do something different. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, kick it up a notch, right? And <laughs> I mean, you know, you do you. I mean, whatever you got to do. But I, I'm like, wow, that I did not expect that to happen in the 1990s movie here at all but wow we i i think she she went for the back door i i really do i think i think that there's some strong evidence of that but it's it's very subtle right right see that's the thing is is other movies would make this so overt like okay basic instinct would have made this so obvious that it was almost gross at some point like the incredibly sweaty sex scene that that sharon stone and michael douglas pull off in that movie is ridiculous and they both talk about how ridiculous <laughs> it was and they were just trying to make yeah. it as dumb as possible and it is funny it's like unintentionally hilarious there's a tendency to want to do that and then there's this which is this the subtle art of pulling all that together mm-hmm. and i'm like man this movie is is much like lena it hooked us with all the allure, but now it's got us and it's going to do all the subtle Hitchcock stuff. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she's clearly mind screwing this guy in every way possible as, as we know. And, but he, he is again, dogged by this. Who is she? Who am I? Who do I want? What do I, you know, what am I going to get? And he, he invents a lie on his own. He's supposed to go to this big client meeting, but he takes an extra day so he can detour through where she's from in Texas. Because we should talk about like, they've been out to eat and this woman walks up to her and says, aren't you sissy from Texas? And she's like, no, I get that all the time though. You know, and he, he kind of blows it off. But then he starts going through her purse and eh, there's matches from a hotel. And the thing is though, like I wanted to ask you like, I don't think she's sloppy. I think she's leaving that shit there for him to find because it's part of her plan mm. to drive him over the edge. What do you think? No, I think you're right. She, by the time you get to the end of this film, I think there's no question. She is too slick and too smart. That was no accident. She left those things there. Mm-hmm. She just you know, keeps him. Yeah, she keeps she wants that those little gnawing doubts. Mm. You know, and and because it builds. Once you start suspecting somebody, once you have doubts about someone, it's like a rot, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And it's like over time, it's just more and more, it festers. And eventually, it will come to a head. Well, the, the old adage of- Counting on that. Yeah, the old adage of if it's too bit good to be true, it probably is, is 100% never wrong. Like that's, that is true. And and um, a lesser movie that does this for its first act is The Net, the Sandra Bullock movie. One of the great lost episodes of Filmstrip, by the way. We recorded <laughs> it in the audio rec, so sorry, Irina. Uh, but we talked about that in this where the, the guy finally reveals himself to Sandra Bullock in the beginning of it. He said, what is it you said you wanted James Bond and Albert Schweitzer all together? Okay, fine. I did that for you. You know, and it's like, oh, oh. And she's, uh, you need Mystery Girl? Fine, I'll be Mystery Girl. And more modern, the movie that is known for this is Gone Girl, right? Sure. Which is so bonkers and so out there. And, and Kurt and I had a really good time discussing that and uh, listening to that in the archives, folks. Uh, but it, with, if this movie didn't exist, I would argue that like the popularity of something like Gone Girl, I don't think would be there. Because that movie's tricks are very, very similar to what happens here. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's this uh, quote. It's an aphorism, Nietzsche. And it's, I'm paraphrasing here. It's, it's not that you lied to me, but that I no longer believe you. Yeah. That has shaken me. You know, it's that mm -hmm. once you stop believing somebody, once you have reason to doubt someone, it's like you're going to question everything, and then everything is suspicious. Well, there's a loss of innocence that happens for all of yes. us in life, right? Like, yes. I, we just came out of the holidays, so a Christmas story has an incredible scene of this where Ralphie does the little Ovaltine, you know, decoder ring thing, and he realizes uh -huh. it's just a damn commercial. And he, there's that line, like, I walked out into the world wiser. <laughs> it was like, yeah, that's yeah. true, and it's kind of sad, too, because it's like, oh, I remember when – I realized it was all just a game. You know, it's a scam. All and a big fat lie. It is, and it, but you're you're right. And like Buffy had a great episode in, in in one of its later seasons called "Lies My Parents Told Me," and it really is about unraveling all the stuff that your parents say to you just to try to get you through, and and because you can't emotionally deal with all that stuff when you're a teenager, mm -hmm. and then when you're in your twenties, not you really can't anymore, but you sort of can. And it's when you start to realize and. And also, too, I think as you get older, like I, I've lost a parent and it's been almost a decade now. And I think about, you know, so many things that I look at differently than I did, even when, you know, the parent was alive 10, 15 years ago. And you realize, like, well, maybe it wasn't, you know, um, out of uh, any nefarious reasons for it, but we do tell lies to each other all the time. The difference is, is that Lena and, and, uh, Ray, kind of live in that world we're like yeah everybody does a little bit of that but he again has it festering in his head mm -hmm. and she is also she is conning him and playing him and she is gaslighting him to go go figure it out you want to know ask the question yeah. <laughs> and it's like mm, you may not like the answer you're told but i mean she i mean i love it. she walks out of that shower is like can i help you with something and then she doesn't lose <laughs> we, that's funny is you only saw her lose her mind one time the whole movie and what you realize is that that's not how she rolls it's an act that was an act in the in the party mm -hmm. with, the, with the wine thing she's much more like she is around their kitchen table all the time and when they're when they're just talking and it's oh it's so yes, dark very calm very she's always two steps ahead right always always and there's when <laughs> when ray goes on that trip and he 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 meets buddy yeah the, the ex from Texas and Buddy 
basically tells him. But he has this great line. He says something like, do you ever, st- you ever think that people just put on this earth to make you crazy? Yeah. And, and, he, and he, he pretty much tells him like, like, no, sissy. Sissy is not what you think she is. And he goes and meets the parents. And yeah, like you said, the parents know they think he's in the CIA. So she's been lying to them. Right. When he, when he brings them back with him. Oh, the look on her face. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that whole sequence is amazing. Like, yes, he brings the parents to try and, you know, shock her into a reaction. And okay. I just got to say this. This is the point. It's right around here where you start to go, you know, Ray. Yes. Lena is doing wrong. And she's got some bad intentions, which we we come to find out the full breadth and depth of those bad intentions. But, you know, Ray here, like, instead of just calling her and trying to have an adult conversation, like, no, I'm going to fly these people. Right. To try and catch her out and have a scene. And she doesn't fall for it. I mean, she she, fall she takes off that damn string of pearls again in the bedroom and throws them in a box. And she's kind of having a little bit of a fit there, but it's it's warranted. Like she's not doing what he does. Yeah, she's annoyed. Yeah. So, but she. But the thing is, is good liars. And if you've ever been lured in by a good liar, and we all have at one time they're always able to just make it go a little further if they want to. And she's like, mm-hmm. of course I changed my name. If I hadn't, I'd be sitting there having buddies, four kids, drinking beer, getting fat and being a loser. And I wasn't going to be that. So yes, I changed my name. Yes. I ran away from it. And uh, yeah, you know what? Abuse happens in a lots of different ways. So it, it, is it that bad? You know, what have I not given you that you didn't want? And and he, you're watching James Spader go like, you're lying to me. I love you dearly. Like he's totally it's blown amazing. away. Amazing. Yeah. Her argument. Because, you know, sometimes in movies where a character gets gaslit, you're like, this is working on that person because they've been, you know, so emotionally manipulated. Mm-hmm. But as a viewer. Like, man, what an asshole. Yeah. Like, oh, that's clearly a lie. This poor person has been duped. In this situation, I couldn't help but think, you know, she's got a point, though, Well, about that whole reinvention. And I was thinking about how nowadays, you know, with dating apps and the ways that people meet now mm-hmm. and, you know, like social media, you have a presence, you have an impression you want to make on people who don't know you. Right. And how much of that is authentic? Well, she turns it back on him by going like, "Yeah, well, who are you? Are you really Ray? Or are you just the Ray yes. that your parents wanted you to be? Oh yeah. You were always the good boy. The little boy Scott did what he was told. Da, da, da. Or are you this guy who hit his ex-wife? And I mean, she throws it at him. Mm-hmm. And when you get in fights in a relationship, you throw stuff at each other. Like not literally necessarily. You you bring shit up and throw it at somebody. Because yeah. it's just. But it's, she's got a point. It's the petty things you do. But inside of every lie, there's got to be a kernel of a truth or else you'll never believe it. And yes. so that's what that's what I say. Like both of these characters are incredibly fucked up. And that's what makes this work is that he's so damaged and he knows he is. That he's like, she's she's not wrong. Now, yeah, that was weird, but maybe I'm weird too. I mean, I did just like settle with my wife when I was going to win. <laughs> you know, the, the judge tells him in that first scene, like, we were going to rule in your favor. She can't really prove it. 
no, I'll just, I'll, I'll lay down for it, you know, cause for whatever reason, right. I love how mention Amick continues to build that lie up for him. And you can tell at this point, like it's getting in her head, like, Hmm, what am I going to do to kind of keep this guy on the lark? So what happens next? Kid number two. <laughs> and we get that through a great framing device of Larry Miller with a, with a camcorder. And I'm like, Oh man, remember when that was all the rage that you could video yes. yourself? Now it's like, man, if my phone can't do that in 1080p, I want to replace it immediately. Right. But you know, he's doing that and he's going around and there's all these people and you know, there's the kids and, and we're just checking in on everybody's perfect life. And, you know, he's kind of talking about what a loser he is because we're starting to set him up as the guy that Ray thinks she's having an affair with. And Which, how did he ever believe that? Right. I mean, it is. But you know what? The reason he believed it is because in that early scene, his friend Norman is going like, hey, I, I've got this great you know scheme going. I just need you know 20 grand yeah. or whatever. Well, I'll take 10 to get it done. And he talks about how you just can't get it. This is one of these guys that just can never get it together. You know, and you're like, yeah, I could buy that he's a schemer and a scammer. But then the truth is he's just shitty with money and he's just not good at what he does. But he's everybody has that friend that like you're know, like, man, I love you, but like I'm not gonna like financially get involved with you because you just I just no. know better, right? Yeah, you just you know, we're not gonna cross that line, we'll stay here. And, you know, but that's the friend that you could always put the doubts on. And what's funny is you turn around and you look later and it, it's the other friend who's, uh, the character's name is Larry, played by uh, Frederick Lane, who that's the one that James Spader's constantly like really confiding in, you know, some deep stuff. For support. And the guy's always trying to tell him, go with your heart. Right. And which, how marriage is, but yeah. it's okay. Keep at it. The supportive guy. Mm-hmm. Who has, as it turns out, his own agenda. I mean, it's it's the eight two yeah. brute, right? It's like yeah. it's the closest one that always is, yes. is coming to and get you. Back, some of the things that he says mm-hmm. when you think back on some of those conversations now, with more context about what you didn't know before, you're like, oh. He's just he's just pulling more info out so you can yes. feed it to Lena at the Hotel Chanticleer yes. the next time they're shagging, so that she knows, like, oh, okay, well, I guess now we got to do the second kid thing. And now we got to do this, you know, or whatever. And it all is starting to unravel for poor old Ray here. And the dam finally breaks when like her new visa bill shows up at the office or whatever. And I love the secretary's like, you you don't want to, you want to look at that before I pay it. You sure you don't want to read over this? And I'm like, I I mean, she's sitting there like the way she says it. And I don't know who this actress is, but I love that. She's like, probably going to get fired for this, but I just feel bad for this dude because he's clearly like this woman is cheating on him. Like it's obvious she's cheating on you, bro. And do you, is this okay? Like, I just want to make sure. And that's when he starts to unravel the plot and all the stuff. And when he goes back into their apartment and, you know, he sends the babysitter out of the nanny away with the kids or whatever, because he's trying not to lose his cool. James, Spader's really good at smoldering, you know, yes. and you're just waiting for him to just lose his shit. And he grabs her face and just spins it around real quick. The way she looks at him is it. At first I was like, what is she doing? And I, I rewound it, watched it again. And I was like, she is playing that as this. 
yes, I wanted you to do that because now I know mm-hmm. you're one more step closer to just finally going over that edge. That's all I need. Just take one good swing. So what's it going to take? He's played right into her hands. Right. And I mean, she he talks about, you know, he found her diaphragm and all this stuff earlier. And like, why wouldn't you have a second one? Why would you mess it up? And I love how she spits it right back at him. Like, sometimes we use this. Sometimes we don't. You know, and it's, it's, she is just goading him. Like, just take a swing, big boy. Just one time. And that's all it took. And then... And the look on his face when he slaps her, it's like, oh, 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 shit. Did I do that? And it's almost like he's going back to lesser movies would have had a flashback to before. But in his own face, he's going like, oh, it's exactly like Martha. And so we're revealed to at that point, like, oh, he probably did. And wow, that changes how we're supposed to feel about him at that moment. That's a complicated thing to do in this movie. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's. It's. We're seeing this cycle in his relationships. Mm -hmm. And he's right back at square one now. Well, he thinks. Mm -hmm. What he doesn't know, but he's about to find out, is that unlike Martha, who's someone that really genuinely, you know, his first wife genuinely cared about him, but the relationship just couldn't work after that. This person is actively seeking your destruction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She is trying. Yes, you have lived out that pattern again, only this time you mess with the one that wants to take your life and destroy it. Right. And when he comes back into the apartment, there's the authorities waiting there. And she walks out of the back and she's so much more beat up. I'm like, oh, it's gone girl again. Like, because there would a mark on a He hit her twice and it's straight and she probably would have bruised from it, but not that shiner. We did that to yeah, ourselves. Well, after he walked out, she she knocks a chair over. He's already mm-hmm. out and left the room and she knocks that chair over. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I was like, We're, we got to make the scene. Yeah, and the, oh, and so she has him committed, and I love how they usually like movies would just flash to the end, but they pay, take time with this or whatever, having him committed and going through the machinations of what that means, and you can't just hold somebody without their you know consent. You can do it for a certain amount of time, depending on what state you're in, and. They have to have the whole hearing because he wants one because he clearly is like, no, I, I want to lay it all out, and he lays it all out in front of that judge, and I love how. The judge is going like, I mean, I hear you, but you need to be held. And like, you, you would get the psychiatrist <laughs> or whatever. And, it, and it's like 180 days. And you just watch him sit there and realize like, oh my, she's completely screwed me over in every way possible. Yeah. She's been working on her psychiatrist for years. Right. She's been going to him all the time, feeding him all this bullshit. She even has the, she made him think I was making up a friend that I was calling my lover all the time when no, that friend actually existed. Here's that crazy woman you've never met. (laughs) I mean, that, I mean, she's been working this for years years to set up this moment. Yeah. It's when you start to realize you're like, just the, the sheer amount of work it would take to not only set that up, but execute that over the long time. And that's when you know you're like, mm, definitely not working alone. Who else is involved? Mm-hmm. You know. So we bring Norman in and poor Larry Miller's like, here's all the uh, letters from my golf friends. They'll tell you how bad I am at playing golf, but I'm there every Wednesday. You know, and you really, it's not him. And that's and Spader does a thing, it's on his face, he realizes like, oh no, it's Larry. Like he knows it's one of them. And but he's never thought of him as like Oh, great. You know, and, and and then he starts to do something. 
he does the same thing he does in the opening scene. He says, okay, fine. Fine. Commit me. Fine. And I love how this is some weird scene. I don't know why Spader did this. The way he puts his <laughs> arm around his lawyer and starts whispering in his ear, it's like, I mean, again, we're subverting all expectations here. Like whatever, like he is like talking to him the way he was talking with her. And I'm like, I yeah. guarantee you, James Spader said, just give me a take and I promise you'll, you'll dig it. And because it was so cool. Cause you see the other actor did not know that was coming, like, he was, oh. <laughs> but he, he reacted to it very naturally and it's great. And you realize like, what's Ray doing? Was he just going to give up? You're like, oh, oh no, he's not going to give up. <laughs> he's he he's, calls. He's finally going to play the long game, right? Finally, he is. He is he's going to turn the tables, and then that brings up the interesting questions of like, has the darkness always been there for him? Because he has another one of those dreams where it's revealed. They reveal the face reveal. Your dream girl is your first wife, not your current one. You so go have one last dance with her, you know. And it's like, huh? How can I get back there? You know, sort of where he is in his mind. And then he starts setting it all up. The machinations he sets up with Billy, his roommate, who's completely, <laughs> no, I don't know, that kid was funny. I laughed. When he, when he <laughs> when, so when they, the moment where they're, they're getting, they're giving their meds. Mm-hmm. And, and Spader spits his pill in Billy's mouth. Yes. Is, one of my favorite little quick scenes is. I mean, again, it's just one of those things that, like, how did you guys come up with that? And what a brilliant, brilliant scene, you know? Because the guy thinks his name is John. He doesn't. It doesn't matter. I'm going to give you a signal, and when I tap you on the knee one day, you'll know what to do. And he's doing a subliminal sleep thing. Yes, kind of like what she had done with him. He has learned the game. And now yes. he is going to play it, which is so evil and sinister to think about. You're like, oh, how's this happening? So he reels in the other friend, Bess Armstrong, the, the lawyer. And he basically tells her, like, you know your husband's cheating on you, right? And she's like, oh, I've I've known. I didn't know it was her, but I suspected because he's bought this house in New Zealand and it was supposed to be some kind of an investment. He but- bought a house in New Zealand without her knowledge. Uh-huh. Uh, marriage is over. Yeah, that is way over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro. You are, you don't have a case at all. <laughs> And what's funny is he doesn't even realize what Lena is going to do to him. He'll wish he was you, she says to Ray later on. She was going to take him down so many dark roads. So, uh, you know, worst case now, he just gets divorced from Bess Armstrong, who will take him for anything he's left of. Though I kind of got the sense that she was probably the one that had the money in that relationship. But uh, anyway, he brings her in. I love how when he hands her that dollar, I'm like, Oh, I saw this in a John Grisham movie once. Mm-hmm. It's called The Client. <laughs> I was like, I read that book yeah. too. <laughs> and and I'm like, well, I I should we should call our friend Michael Scott to get him to completely completely unravel how this would not be okay. <laughs> but for the purposes of this movie, I'm gonna let it go because it's a great idea for a mystery. It's like, okay, so basically I'm gonna Money changed hands. You've confirmed that this yeah. is confidential now because yeah. I'm your, your I'm a paying client. Yeah, you're basically my priest now. So which <laughs> I, I know enough to know, like, even if you're a paying client, if you say that, mm, we, we're breaking deals now. Sorry, can't do that. But anyway, yeah. but he basically tells her, like, I'm gonna bring her here and I'm gonna kill her. And since I've been committed for being insane, how long am I gonna be in prison for? And she's like, yeah, a year. And then, then not only that, she is an accessory to the crime at that point. She is. Because she picks up the phone to call her and go like, he just kept going on and on about how there's some flaw in your plan. I don't know. You might want to come out here and see him at some point. 
And she just hangs up and it's like, good luck. I'm going to go and file my divorce papers. See you later. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Cause you don't know how much time goes, you know, it's, it, there's, there's a time lapse. It could be a few weeks, could be a day, you know, no, no, but mm-hmm. she does show up finally. And the big set with Billy is he's supposed to distract the guard that watches Ray and, and uh, Lena Oscar. walk off. Yeah, Oscar, poor Oscar. Oscar got fired, y'all. <laughs> like, we need to feel bad for Oscar. Oscar so yes. got fired for this. A lot of people did, but Oscar chiefly. Uh, Ray lures her away. And I love how he, he does his own little game with her at the end. Like you got to give me a yes. real kiss. It's got to be for real, oh, or I won't tell so you that you want to know. And what's funny is, it's like, how is she falling for this? And so when you realize, like, every character has a fatal flaw, and hers is, yeah. I I know more than everybody. So how can you know mm-hmm. something I don't know? It's the one way he could get at her, and then he strangles her. And I mean, the look on her face is one of first of a surprise, shock, and then absolute horror as he kills her. And then that long shot of just laying her down on the lawn, like fucking Frankenstein or something. I'm like, it's epic, right? And then it's just to the circus where they are. She, he is dancing with her, and we go down the dress and back up the dress, and it's the other wife, and then down the dress and back up the dress, and it's Medjinamic, and they are both just locked eyes with him like there there's no emotion they're just looking at each other i'm yeah. like ray is going bye-bye y'all that's what that means at the end of this movie <laughs> <laughs> he may think he's getting out of prison in a year no he, he's still there uh yeah before this relationship even happened ray had some things to work out after his first divorce yes but ray didn't do that Ray got mixed up <laughs> with Lena and now, yeah, now he's going to need some serious help because because <laughs> yeah. he, he has gone down this deep, dark, winding path that she's led him on. And he finally, at the end, you know, learned to play the long game to play her game. But playing her game will turn you into a psycho. Well, so. here's, a, here's a thought I had, though. <laughs> Because there, there's a, there's an old adage that you're never led down a path you don't already want to try. That's true. That's and I, true. I wonder if somewhere in the subconscious of this movie, it's going, here's what happens when two very dangerous people get together and one of them doesn't realize it until yeah. the end. And I'm like, you know, she'll never recommit the crime. She was going to many times, probably already had a couple of times, you figure. Right. Kind of Black Widow, another erotic thriller, Deborah Winger joint. But she's not going to be able to do this again. But Ray's pretty comfortable with this now. So whether he ever gets out of prison or not yeah. is debatable. But I I wonder, and my question is like, she didn't lead him anywhere he wasn't already willing to go. Maybe she just turned it on. And maybe yeah. we well, could. And she definitely, she saw something in him. A, a, a good con man, con woman, con person mm-hmm. is good at reading people. Yeah. So that they can pick out the bright mark. She read something in Ray that told her that her plan would work, that she could push the right pressure point to get him to act the way she needed him to act to bring this plan to fruition. Right. Not only would she read that in him, not only would it work, but it would work perfectly. 
up until she, I don't think she realized how dangerous he really is. Yes. And that's the twist of this movie that's full of twists yeah. is that you conned another psycho. And yes. and it blew up in your face, and that's the <laughs> that's the dark ending of this little you know medium budget forgotten movie is that yeah oh <laughs> oh that's the point of this movie is yeah, that yeah she says to him you you don't have you don't have it in you or something to that effect you know you're too you're too practical what about the consequences right and he says there are no consequences and like that's what she didn't bank on is like he has nothing to lose no. And only everything to gain from this point. Right. Because even if he never gets out of prison, what does he care? His life's ruined anyway. What is he going to go do? You know, the one friend he probably ever really had in life was Norman, who's never going to talk to him again after that. Because, hey, bro, you accuse me of, eh, no, sorry, we're not talking anymore. And Bess Armstrong legally is like, I don't know you anymore. It's moving across the country. She's going to take a job in Omaha, you know, after she divorces her uh, husband, leaving him penniless in New Zealand or whatever. So (laughs) he's got nobody. His kids are gone. They were, they were barely there anyway. I mean, you could tell he, I don't know, his relationship with him seemed always peripheral anyway. Right. So he's got nothing to lose. He's got nothing to gain. He doesn't care. All he wants is for her to know she was wrong. And yeah. that's what I say, like the, the deep, dark twist of this movie is that the psycho conned another psycho and unleashed it in him. And now there's another monster in the world. <laughs> and Oh my, what? Uh, let's hope it's he doesn't so get out. Good. But it's, it's so, so good, good, right? It leaves you so much like wh- where it could go so many places. And, you know, it, <laughs> it went nowhere. It went to the dustbin. People forgot it for 20 years. But Which know. is such a shame. It's such a shame. Mm-hmm. And the casting is just perfect here. Like with a different cast, with someone other than James Spader, imagine Aiken in this, like it does, I don't know that it would work quite as well as it does with those two in these critical roles. I I really, I really think like, you know, Frederick Lane and Bess Armstrong are fine. I think Larry Miller also sells it. I think any, anybody in those other three, I don't think it works as well. I think the three of them knew, what the assignment was and mm-hmm. when did it. And I'm with you that you couldn't have, you couldn't get this from other people. And what's amazing is the, the you know, there's 10, 11 years difference between the two leads, you know, and you would never know it because yeah. they could both hold their own with each other and they just go with each other. And, uh, you know, again, there's no sub- <laughs> supplemental material to this. And I bet if you asked either of them, they'd be like, I wasn't that like they have, they've had such careers. They would probably wouldn't even remember it, Yeah. but I would have loved to have known like what it was like, you know, on the set. And how they were. Right. Yeah. Cause it just seems like it would have been so cool to like be able to go there. And, and I mean, I've done some plays and stuff and I've seen have friends that are actors that have done plays where you really get to go at somebody and they talk about like, how fun that is when you you really trust each other to go there and really push and and you know hit those emotional buttons and then be able to come back from it as a as a real person and go like wow that was cool and you know I mean it's neat to watch people do that and again if if you've watched either of these people's careers they're just playing these same characters over and over again that's that's what the beauty of this is is but they're so good at yeah it. Nicholas Kazan knew exactly who these two people were. 20 years before they really got to doing what they are mostly known for now. And it's, it's just too bad. It was lost to, to time, but we've brought it back. Other people know it. And thank God for Tubi. It's out there for the world. So <laughs> we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings. So what are yours for a dream lover, Carmelita? Uh, 
I mean, I just, <laughs> this film is going into my rotation for James Spader films that I rewatch. Because uh, sometimes I get in the mood and I need to watch, I need to have like a little James Spader marathon. And this is going in that in that mix. I will definitely be revisiting this over and over time and time again now that I've seen it because I just loved it. Oh, the popcorn rating, this is hard because I recognize that, you know, it's a little dated. It's, but no, you know what? I was going to say medium with extra butter. Screw that. I'm giving this a large popcorn. I, I had a great time with this film. And and those little clever things that we talked about that it does, I think elevates it beyond just your kind of average or lower grade erotic thriller. There's some real clever stuff in here. I, I would hang this movie up in terms of its intelligence to write right below Fatal Attraction but right in line with something like Consenting Adults, which is kind of a forgotten Kevin Spacey, Kevin Klein movie, it's it's right in line with something like Unfaithful by the same director as Fatal Attraction, which is a great Richard Gere, Diane Lane, like talk about their performances where they really go at each other. Or something like Revolutionary Road, which is a different twist on all this stuff where Kate and Leo totally destroy your your uh, Titanic mm. love story dreams in front of you, along with Michael Shannon. That's another one where if you have different actors, it doesn't work. Um, this movie is so smart and is so rewarding to a viewer to rewatch it. Because you watch it the first time and you're like, wow, that was dark and twisted. You watch it again and you're like, oh, they lay the whole thing out in five minutes. Then you watch it again, you're like, wait a minute, raise the psycho too? And you just, you like, you can read it so many ways. And she's like, did she go, how does she do that to him? What is she doing? And what, what did he say? And oh, did he hit his way? You, you can play that game forever. Yeah. And that to me is the hallmark of a really good movie is when you rewatch it, you not only rewatch it to see if you can figure it out ahead of time, but where did you miss the clue? Where are they dropping it? for you and you just get to watch great performances and i'm always down for something like that um even if it does take you to some dark places that you don't want to go but this one's in my high pantheon of that era of erotic thriller film noir thing i think this is just as good as something like gone girl and i, I don't think that movie really or book would even exist and would have popularity if you weren't for things like this because they work on so much the same level so i would say to people who like Gone Girl, but don't know what this is, and maybe listen to the show. If we haven't convinced you enough already, go watch the movie, for goodness sakes, because it is totally Please worth your time. Please go watch this movie. Yes, go. It's amazing. Go watch it. And <laughs> if you can acquire a copy of it for less than $40, let me know, because it's not easy to find. Again, Tubi's got it. And oh, every now and then it rolls yeah. onto Prime and, and stuff, but it's not one that you find much of because uh, it's uh, – you know, again, it was forgotten. It was it was something that just sort of fell out of favor. But Roger Ebert loved it at the time, and you know, I don't always agree with his stuff. But you go back and look, sometimes he would he would see stuff other people missed, and you're mm -hmm. like, mm, I think Roger saw the same thing we did. And it was like, mm, this is a lot smarter than y'all think it is. You're getting caught up in all the sex and the lace, but that's not really what this movie's about. In fact, after 25 minutes, there's none of that in this movie. It's no, it's there's so much more to this. Yeah, I'm like, if all you know is that you've missed this movie, and it's so much more than that. So I, I'm giving it a large popcorn as well. I think it's a large with a lot of butter, and it's a, just a 
a ton of fun and definitely worth a revisit, particularly this time of year. It's February, you know, watch something cute and sweet and then watch this and, and you know, have some fun with it. But if you have, I don't have a James Spader watch list, I got to hear more about this sometime, by the way. <laughs> but I would put it in there as, as one of his better performances. And, yeah. and, and I mean, he, he's magnificent in it and, and, Imaginamic is, is fantastic as well. So uh, large popcorn for me as well. And always a ton of fun to talk about this, and especially with you, Carmelita. Thank you again for coming uh, on, being a part of Filmstrip. Tell folks how they can follow you. Jay, it was an absolute joy. It always is to talk movies with you. And to have this film be one that we could explore together, amazing. So thank you for that. Folks can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. Same handle for both. Carmelita says. And folks, you can follow the happenings of this podcast by following us on all the social media outlets that uh, still exist as far as we know at this point <laughs> at, at Filmstrip Pod. And, you know, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Hive, Mastodon, other things. Uh, but we, we try to maintain a presence out there. But if you go to filmstrippodcast.com, that takes you to our anchor distribution list. That way you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. We are there. Huge back catalog, 340 plus episodes at this point. Tons of stuff in there for you. Check it out. I'm sure you'll find something you like. Leave us a positive review and share the show on your socials as it helps other people find the show as well. Until next time, for Carmelita, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.